Today we are continuing the themes from our worship series together, and today we are specifically going to be exploring uh, what it means to cultivate community. And, and, and what we're basically saying is that, you know, community is something that we need to invest in, we need to work at, we, we all have a role to play. Um, it's not something that just accidentally falls into our lap and happens. And so I think it's helpful to think of community in terms of a garden. And if any of you are gardeners out there, I would just invite you in the comment section, uh, share what are you growing in your garden this year? What is growing really well this year? And maybe share what is not growing so well this year. But I think this image of a garden is helpful because it's, it's kind of a concrete example. And we understand that if a garden doesn't have someone to cultivate it, the weeds are going to take over. It might not get enough water. There might be pests or disease that no one is watching over to protect your, your, your plants from. And so it's been helpful for me as I've been reading this book together to think of community also in terms of a garden, that the same way that a gardener will cultivate and care for the garden, this is how we need to cultivate each other and cultivate a sense of community so that it can be fruitful and it can benefit everyone. Now, when, when I was a shy, quiet, insecure teenager, I didn't believe this, I didn't understand this, and I certainly didn't practice this. See, I remember having an expectation as a teenager that I just really wanted other kids to invite me into their activities. I wanted other kids to make the first move to be a friend to me. But unfortunately, uh, what I was hoping for never happened. And so as a consequence, as a teenager, I experienced a lot of loneliness. Now, my parents knew that I was struggling with this, and so they would try to help me, and they would say to me over and over again, Eric, if you want to have friends, you need to be a friend for, uh, first. But I never liked my parents' <laughs> advice because, number one, I thought what they were asking me to do it just felt impossible. And number two, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know what it meant to be a friend, how to cultivate those relationships. And so as a consequence, yes, I did suffer a lot of loneliness as a teenager. I believe that the world that we are all living in and sharing, I, I think that there's a lot of people and probably a lot of us that are experiencing times of loneliness. And this is not just something that has happened since the pandemic. Long before the pandemic, there have been trends that have led to increased loneliness. Um, you, just our culture alone, I think, doesn't encourage us to cultivate community as much as it encourages us to cultivate consumerism and materials materialism. And so we strive with our energy and our time and our effort for those consumer and materialistic ends, and it leaves us exhausted at the end so that we don't have any more to give for relationships and community. Another trend that I see that's happened is that we don't as much find our joy and find meaning in life 
from the interesting stories of the immediate people in our lives. You know, we don't tell the, the, the deeper, more meaningful stories to each other, and we don't ask those of each other as well. Instead, we are plugged into the stories of people who are very far away on media and social media. We know people, we know the stories of people uh, that we will never meet in our lifetime better than we know the stories of the people that we encounter on a daily basis. And I think the consequence of this is that it has, it has left us all lonely. So Dr. Murphy tells a story about Sarah in chapter 7 of his book. And Sarah uh, uh, grew up in Houston, Texas, and had good friends, had a good family. But in her 20s, you know, like a lot of people, had to move to a new community to start her career. And she lived in a small house, and she worked really, really hard but after a year, she began to recognize that she was feeling quite a bit of loneliness. And she realized that she hadn't made a lot of friends. And one of the things that was missing and that she missed the most from where she, her home where she grew up was just that meal and table fellowship. She missed the volume and the, the chatter and the laughter around the meal table with family and friends back home. So she decided to do something about it. And she called up her dad and she had her dad come up and they built in, in Sarah's backyard this enormous table, big enough for 20 people to sit around. And then Sarah used an app, it's called the Next Door app, and, uh, and she just did a simple invitation for that very evening. I mean, she didn't leave a lot of, you know, uh, you know she, she didn't, uh, 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 I mean, she just kind of acted immediately. And these are the actual words that she used in her invitation. If you've never stepped outside your house to meet your neighbors, would you consider coming over tonight? I don't know anyone, and I'd love to meet you. Bring your own beverage, bring a dish to share, and I'll have live music. You know what, what Sarah did was pretty gutsy. And I think a lot of us would be held back from doing an invitation like this because we would just jump to the assumption that nobody's going to respond to this. But guess what actually happened? 90 people responded to Sarah's invitation and came into Sarah's backyard that night. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, what is the secret ingredient to cultivating community? And I think that secret ingredient is just being real and authentic. It's not anything glamorous and it's not anything glitzy. You know, Sarah actually made herself a little bit vulnerable in her invitation and in what she shared about herself. Do you remember she said, I don't know anyone? She revealed a little loneliness. And I think in revealing herself, it touched that same kind of vulnerable, lonely spot in a lot of her neighbors. And so they responded to that that vulnerability. They responded to that authenticity and the way that Sarah was real. 
This is also the truth that Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus is teaching us something about the power of when we are simply being real and authentic and honest with ourselves and with each other. So I invite you to open up your Bible to our scripture passage, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 20. So whatever Bible you have access to, please open it up so that we can walk through this passage together. And the first thing that I, I really want us to understand about this passage is who is Jesus addressing? The crowd that Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mountain to. I want us to understand who this crowd is. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, we get a really good idea of the makeup of the crowd. And they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. So this is the crowd that I believe Jesus is trying to inspire to become a community. And so Jesus says at the beginning of our passage today, in verses 13 and 14, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, let's not be typical American Christians and just think that Jesus is speaking to me as an individual all the time. I want us to hear Jesus as saying, you all. Jesus is talking about community here. You all together as a community are, are the salt of the earth and light for the world. Jesus is making a statement about the healing power of being in community together. And this is important because um, we're not so good at cultivating and being community in our world all the time. We have a tendency, especially when folks are broken, when people um, are experiencing vulnerability, when people are maybe a little bit hard to live with, that we wanna push them away. We don't wanna bless their lives, we just don't wanna deal with them. And so we don't want to bless them with the power of community. Jesus is teaching us that the kingdom of God is different, that Christian community is much different. Those who are broken and those who are the most vulnerable are blessed and they are gathered into our community. And so it is Christian community which is salt for the earth and light for the world. Now look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Now, why did everybody think that Jesus was abolishing the law? I mean, Jesus would heal on the Sabbath and, and Jesus would, you know, welcome, you know, lepers and Samaritans and, and he would cross the line all the time. And so the Pharisees and the scribes and the very powerful religious leaders who were threatened by Jesus would accuse him of wanting to abolish all the law and the prophets. But that wasn't the case at all. 
Jesus was challenging the scribes and the Pharisees because they were misusing and misunderstanding what God's law was all about. It wasn't about legalism where I can use the law to make myself look better than someone else. That has nothing to do with God's law. Jesus simplified the law that it is we are to love God and love our neighbor. That's all we have to do to fulfill the law. We are a community that loves God and loves each other. And in our loving, we give each other permission to be broken. We give each other permission to be real. We give each other the space to be vulnerable. And in so doing, we become the kind of community that loves and blesses the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. When we bless each other and when we love each other, even in all of our brokenness, even when it's kind of tough to love each other, this is how we are a great flavored salt for the earth and how we are the best kind of light for the world. So I want to show you a movie clip from a Pixar movie called Inside Out. And this is a brilliant movie about a family and their youngest daughter, her name is Riley, and they move from Minnesota to California. But what makes this movie so brilliant is that they also characterize five emotions that live inside of Riley. And those five emotions are joy, sadness, anger, fear, and disgust. And so Riley is struggling with this move and she's not making any new friends and she's very sad, she's very confused. And the five emotions are trying to save Riley. And uh, Joy, the emotion of Joy, is convinced that she is the one who is the only one who can save Riley. But as the movie goes on, we discover that that is not the case. But that there is a surprising emotion that ends up saving Riley and her family. And that's sadness. So let's watch the clip. All day. What? what was she wearing last year? You don't remember what? Riley. Oh, oh, we were worried sick. Where have you been? It's so late.
Oh. I miss Minnesota. You need me to be happy. team. I want to go home. Please don't be mad. Oh, sweetie. We're not mad. And you know what? I miss Minnesota, too. I miss the woods where we took hikes. And the backyard where you used to play. Spring Lake. Where you learn to skate? Come here. So I, I, I hope families experience a lot of joy together. But families need a lot more than joy in order to cultivate the strong and lasting bonds of love to be a family together and also as a community of faith. I hope that we do experience joy in our worship and in our serving together. But our community needs more than joy. We need to be real with each other. We need to be vulnerable with each other. And we need to love and bless each other in our brokenness. So I hope that we will not only trust and believe Jesus' words in Matthew 5, I hope that we will act on them. Because we are blessed when we are real. Together, may we cultivate a culture of love and grace and help each other, all of us, to be more real. Amen.